Hello, sir. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so I, was, I was a bit of it. I was in a world of me on. Sorry. <laughs> I lost track of time. How are you? Good. How are you? Not too bad, man. Sorry about the the mad ukulele intro there. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> How are you? I didn't, even realize it was, I didn't even realize it was ukulele. I was all like my, my uh, audio was still loading up. Okay, you didn't hear it, and that's good. My crappy lady <laughs> playing. <laughs> I'm I'm looking at all your stuff in the background. I like I like the Beatles poster, eh? Oh yeah, I, I am like a gigantic Beatles fan. I, I am. Me too. I can't get around that. Me too. What What do you think? What do you think of the new AI thing that's going to come out? Honestly, I only saw a headline about it, and I didn't read into what actually, like they did or what the yeah. controversy was. There's a few things. It's hard to know. It's hard. To, have you have you actually heard those these those de-aged McCartney stuff, the Beatles stuff? Some someone took. Yeah, you mean yes. like remastered? No, no. So with AI, you can you can train a program like Silvitz to to. So you you train a program for hours to analyze Paul McCartney's voice from the '60s. Yeah. So, th so then you could essentially sing one of his songs as. Okay. And then put it into the program, and it will sing it like him from the sixties. So, so someone took like McCartney's song, one of the songs called "New," from a record he had a few years ago, and put it through that program. Yeah, and it sounds like McCartney singing it from the sixties, as opposed to eighty, whatever the fuck he is. Yeah, so yeah. It's, so it's crazy. Like, so I don't know what they're doing that with the. Did they said they weren't doing that with the new stuff? But then I heard stuff that someone said they might be doing that. So you never know. It could be a bit, mm. odd. Be a bit <laughs> odd. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hold on there a second. This beckon thing. Um, yeah, I was listening to your record today, man. I'm liking it. It's cool. Thanks. Why did you decide to do it mono? For a couple reasons. Yeah. Uh, first, the first reason just being a stylistic reason. It's just okay. like a lot of the music I was listening to at the the beginning of that album was just all mono recordings and like just, mm. as we're talking about the beatles i'm sure you know the stereo versus uh mono beatles argument so like i i was just like think that's funny so uh i don't know that that's the first reason i kind of went with mono second reason was more limited equipment that i had and like i i wanted to do some eqing on my final mixes of course yeah but the the EQ I had at the time is only uh, it was one I got for free at my job. They were just throwing it away, and it was a piece of junk. But it was only <laughs> one channel, so there was a couple songs where I realized while I was uh, mixing down to my quarter tape that uh, I was like missing a lot of high end on a lot of the key tracks. I was like, okay, shit, I gotta boost the high end. So when I went to use that unit, it's like right there, it has to be a mono mix. I can't do a stereo mix. Later mm -hmm. on, like in the album. I finally got a stereo EQ that allowed me to do stereo mixes, but it was like seven to eighths through the album. So I was like, obviously I'm not going to go back to those other songs and remix them. They're, they already been mixed, you know, months ago. I don't want to retouch them. Yeah. And then the third reason is more of just, I find at least the stuff that I own, like my cell phone, a couple of the Bluetooth speakers, uh, Bluetooth speakers I have just play better on mono. They usually only have one speaker anyway, 
and they get sung down from a stereo signal into mono that I was finding um, like early on when I was recording music, uh, one song in particular, uh, the ever racing memory of Fernando Cortez Julio on that song. I have like the first part of the song, I have a slide guitar, like all the way panned left. And when I would listen back to the song onto my, on my cell phone, just to get the, mm. hear what the mix was like on a cell phone, you know, the right channel comes out of this bigger speaker here, which is a lot beefier. It's a lot louder than mm. the earpiece here that the left channel goes through. And like, it annoyed the crap out of me. Every time I would listen to the song, um, you know, later on, months later, I'm like, damn, like that, that part really annoyed me. So ever since then, I'm kind of like a little iffy to do stereo mixes. Uh, but I realize that's just like, maybe being a little too extreme with that because like i feel like most, most people's phones can handle you know they have like dual speakers or whatever but i don't know yeah kind of when i when i uh rolled with yeah i dude i always mix in mono even though i put things in stereo i always mix in mono because you actually just you get a clearer picture because that, that sometimes stereo can just kind of throw you off a bit and you kind of powerful you don't get as powerful enough mix sometimes if you're doing stereo so that, that's really interesting so when you after you you're, you're, you are in your final stages of mixing. Mm. You know, how do you choose your stereo field then? Do you have like a go-to that you go to? Like, so normally when I'm, I'll do everything up to about the kind of mix that I kind of am happy with, and then I'll kind of I'll put it I'll put it into stereo. I'll just take the stereo, you know, I'll plug it off and even take take it off, and then then I'll kind of finish in the mix down and put things in different places. But I find just to kind of get everything kind of balanced. It's and especially on um, removing frequencies. I think you can remove it, it's you hear it more in mono. We'll say like if there's a build up as opposed in stereo, because you know you're going to get bass thrown out to different parts. Yeah. So yeah. if you if you mix in mono, I I I've I just find it 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 makes it. I just find it's better because you you don't extreme you don't you're not doing as much extreme EQ because you can t you know we can tend to extremely you know. Do a lot of EQ and you know, I mix really low in volume too. Like I, you yeah. could like have a conversation over what I'd be doing and yeah. So that that's probably I like. I'm sure there's loads of dudes that that mix way better than me in mixing stereo. So you know it's just a yeah. maybe a habit, but I just kind of got I liked it. I liked doing it. You know. I know. I think I haven't personally done that, or at least intentionally done that, or like mm. consciously done that. But that sounds like. A uh, good approach, definitely. Um, especially like you when you're when you have to consider um, like even if you do have a stereo mix that you're mixing, you know you're still supposed to do like uh you know like my my board has a mono button that you could listen to it in mono in case whatever playback system you're listening on listening on only has one speaker and it gets mixed in mono anyway. Yeah. But, like I think it's good. To, like you know you, you need a balance between the both uh, for a yeah. good mix. And it's kind of it's kind of cool when because I do I do a lot of stuff with like strings and stuff like that. So especially when if you're using a widener on a like a widener plugin on a string and you collapse it in mono, sometimes if it's not a good plugin, it'll disappear. So you have to kind of make sure everything's in phase and everything like that. So it's kind of good in in uh, that aspect. But back to recording, why did you choose to kind of record analog as opposed to you're not using any computer? Yeah. Um. Cause it's cool. I like it, man. I when I watched the, I seen your video. I was like, that's fucking cool, man. It just came up during like one night time. I was just three a.m. I was going something, and I was like, yeah. that's fucking cool. I was watching that. Then I watched a good I mean, few I, videos. I think uh, 
a vast majority of my comments are kind of along on my videos. Uh, I mean, like are, are along those uh, those grounds where people are just like, oh, it's so cool to see someone carrying a torch or something along the lines. But a mm. lot of the times you get I get really, really enthusiastic people emailing me who are also into recording um, on tape. And like mm. there's such a strong passion between uh, people when it comes to tape. And like I didn't necessarily choose to record the tape. When I first started recording, you know, I, I tried, I think it was Reaper. I downloaded Reaper mm. and I, I'm not going to lie to you. I think I spent 10 minutes before I was like, I don't get it. And like <laughs> me, I just love collecting old junk. Like, yeah, I have a lot of old junk here, but like all my other hobbies is just collecting old junk. So naturally, like I go to Craigslist and I'm just looking at tape machines because I've always wanted one. Even before I wanted to record music, I just thought like the look of them, the way they run are just so cool. Yeah, and like I wind up getting uh, an eight-track tape machine for a really good price, and like that's just how I started recording it. And it, that hands-on approach is much more up my alley. Um, like I'm saying, like with my other hobbies, I kind of collect old junk. It's I like the tactile feel. I like the um, the engineering behind the stuff like that. So mm. like that's just why I was always interested in it. It wasn't necessarily like I chose for it. It was just. And it kind of just happened that way, and why I kind of got into a big passion with it. Mm. Well, there's all those like I love those. You know, we'll go back to the Beatles, but you know that story of Tomorrow Never Knows, where they've got all the tapes running, and they're like to get all those out. Like that shit's just class. Like you just certain things that I always find limitations make us do stuff, make us be more creative. Because yes, you know, like computers, you have an endless amount of you can get lost in choices. I think that's always kind of like we're as humans, we're not. I don't think we're made to have many choices. You know, we're quite stupid creatures, so we need just a few, and then <laughs> we can make a no, choice in, as opposed to a thousand. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's kind of when when you have a thousand different people pulling you in different directions around you in a circle with a rope. Everyone's pulling you in the same direction. Mm. You know, you're getting pulled here, here, and there. At the end of the day, you're, you're not going to be moving much from your circle because you're going to be getting pulled from here and here and here. Whereas I feel like if you kind of just, you know, only have two or three people pulling you, let's just say, you know, someone's going to favor you and you're going to go towards a certain direction in the circle. This is like a weird, weird, uh, really weird analogy. But what I'm trying to say is like, it, it kind of, it gets you into places you wouldn't normally be if you're so constrained to that little circle. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I get you. So when you were like recording, are you, you're obviously not using clicks, obviously. You just kind of, you do you lay down a drum part first or do you lay down a guitar or how does it work? So I don't use a click. I, I think I used a metronome once on one song, but oh, it was just for a, a part that was really, really. Uh, it was a song electric organ acid test and like the last organ part is like so um methodical uh, i don't know if that's the right word but anyway i had a really hard time with that so in the cases like that you know i'll use a metronome or something like that but a lot of the times i don't do my guitar uh, my drum tracks first i'll do a scratch guitar track and i'll just do it based upon my own rhythm and like me being a drummer this helps immensely i, I am naturally going to have a, a little bit better of a rhythm than someone who doesn't play the drums mm. so i kind of lay down the rough tempo of the song there and then when i go record my drum track going against this guitar scratch um track i, I kind of even out 
some inconsistencies in the guitar track if I need to. Mm. Um, but I really like the natural ebb and flow of this process as opposed to like everything being on a, a certain beat. And like with a lot of my songs, I'm often trying to emulate a live sound, even though it's just me. For some reason, I want people to think it's more than me. And like <laughs> this live sound is just like this uh, this endless goal I've been trying to achieve for no reason. But anyway, like when I play with my friends and we're playing live, we're not playing to a click track. We're having fun. We're drinking beers. We're we're speeding up. We're slowing down. Mm. And like to me, that's what music is all about. It's playing with your friends and stuff like that and playing live. And in a lot of those instances, you're not going to have a click track. So I kind of try to uh, stay away from that as much as possible. It's not like a hard rule for me or anything. Like if I was recording with one of my friends and they like wanted to do it, you know, I'd do it. But for my own music, I I tend not to do that. Yeah, I think that's that, like when you listen to a lot of old records, the, the, like especially Beatles, Beach Boys, all that kind of stuff. Like that slowing up and speeding, like going into a chorus, speeding up and stuff like that. Like it, yeah, something that's missing in modern music. That's why I, I hate quantized, especially in oh. in songs that shouldn't be quantized. There's a place for quantization, I think, in certain aspects if you're trying to do something as an effect. For like time, I know that if that if you get what you like, if you're trying to, if you're trying to have something like yeah. to do with time, and you're trying to, yeah, have no, really I understand. But but for other stuff that should be like, <laughs> like if someone did a Fleetwood Mac type band now that quantize everything, and you're just like, what? Yeah, the? like that. That's just I can't. I, I, I can't, only, can't I only have one experience with quant uh, quantizing, and it was before I was ever even into recording, and I was in uh, an old band, and the kid Mike. He was recording my drum track and he was like, oh, let me hear it with it quantized. And we listened back to it and it just like it was not good. It totally <laughs> sucked the whole energy out of it. But that was my only experience. And like I, you were saying you were talking about, um, you know, when you listen to a lot of these old records, you hear them like rush into choruses and stuff like that or slow down certain parts. I honestly don't even notice it. I just I think a lot of tempo changes for certain chord uh progression changes kind of mm. just come naturally and it, if you're doing it right the listener is not going to notice that you slow down a bit true because like i'm not really most of the time consciously thinking about like oh i'm going to play this course a little faster it's more of just uh, the energy of the song kind of naturally goes there i don't know if it's the same for you in, in that case or do you do like a little more methodical planning well you see because i do everything on um you know, I'm recording in the DAW, so I'm not recording yeah. analog. Well, I'm recording analog outboard gear, but, you know, I'm recording with the aspect I'm mixing on a computer, which sucks. So I kind of, I tempo grid everything, but I add little tempo. It could be like a DB, like a a beat or another beat. You know, like I'm, I, I could go into a chorus and as I'm going in, it's like 121, 122, 123, 120, you know, yeah. like that kind of thing. And I think when you're doing it with that, that's probably the best way to do it with computers because otherwise it can be very just not robotic but there's just something like if you're trying to get like that live sound you have to cut you can't grid everything because no one plays perfect yeah. like no one unless maybe neil perth or something like that but apart from, <laughs> apart from that i don't know you know and and there's just something about it it's um it's just more human like classical players always play slightly behind the beat so it gives that kind of so when you have an orchestra and you're putting it up against 
drums you can't sometimes you might actually have to nudge it slightly forward because it can sound sometimes too better but at the same time it just gives it that you know there's just something about that too like that it, sometimes things that are off can be a bit cool being a drummer this cannot be more true i mean take someone like john bottom you can't quantize a drum track like that that's no, no. it's not technically on time but there's so much more like nuance than that when it comes to uh, someone playing the drums mm. and like, you know, especially like funk players. I mean, if you're a funk player or like a jazz fusion type of player, you could get really creative with stuff like that. So, but uh, you know, I think like John Bonham's like the classic ex example people use when they describe that, like with quantization and drums. But when it comes to other stuff, you know, like keys, I don't know, maybe would a key part be better if it was quantized on a pop tune? Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, that's something weird. I mean, I, I, um, I had a guest on, the first guest I had on ever on my podcast was a synesthesia researcher. And because I had synesthesia, she asked me to do a, she asked me to do a, a kind of, a, not a test, but they were doing like a research thing. And everything that was quantized I didn't know it was quantized, but there was quantized stuff. And the quantized stuff, it didn't have as much color as the unquantized stuff, like, say, a keyboard part. So there's something yeah. kind of in that that can, that can, it changes the color of the sound, if that makes any sense, without me sounding like a lunatic. But there, there is something no, in no. that. I, I try not to make, like whether it be on a podcast or like one of my YouTube videos, I try not to make broad statements like, you know, quantization is bad. It's going to, it's going to suck the soul out of your tracks. Yeah. I yeah. believe that. Like, I totally believe it will, but <laughs> I try not to say these things. Cause like, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to gatekeep. I don't want to tell people what they're doing is wrong. Cause like, that's the exact opposite of what I want to tell people. I want to tell people to find their own way, you know, screw what I think. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's some things that I have hard time grappling with when it comes to recording on um, a DAW or a computer. And I was only in a professional recording studio once. And I was recording with that same band I was talking about before. And on one of the tracks, I remember the, the uh, recording engineer there telling me, oh, your bass player is playing a major chord instead of a minor chord here for this riff. And like the guitar was playing in the opposite or whatever, so the kid was the kid bass player wasn't there at the time, so he's like, "Oh, I'll just edit all of those individual notes." And he went into some plugin where it had all the individual bass notes, and he was just smudging the bass notes. And to me, I was just like, "No, like, <laughs> no, that's why. Why can't he just re-record the track? Like, yeah. it won't take, he's a bass player. The kid Alex is a good bass player. Like, he could do it." And it's just like it upset me so much because it was like. The band we were in, and like I feel like a lot of young kids like myself are in. There are garage bands, there are bar bands. They're rough. They're they're not meant to be exactly perfect. Mm. And you know when when I when I see something like that, it's just like I have a hard time grappling with it. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. Plus, plus you're going to get artifacts by doing that. You're actually changing, you know, like putting something into the melodyne and putting it up. Just you get these weird artifacts and stuff. Some of your some of your stuff actually reminded me of the Jesus Lizard. Have you ever heard the Jesus Lizard? Jesus Lizard, I don't think so. Yeah, they were Not like they, they were like they're they're actually a kind of I don't know what they are. 
wouldn't say they're like grunge, but they're heavy. Like some of it just like not wholly, but some of it. I was like, oh, that reminded me of the Jesus Lizard. A great band, like. But are they like uh, fuzzed out? Um, I'd say they were like um, I'm not going to use the word aggressive, but they they had just a vis- visceral kind of sound, like a, like a, vis- a punk attitude. Yeah, yeah, but visceral kind of like, you know, not Mm. like, I wouldn't call them punk, but they had like this just sound that you're like, shit, man, you know, I I know a lot of grunge guys were into them in the 90s, but they don't sound grunge. But yeah, I think I think, you know, you might hate them, but I some some reminded me of it, you know, but when you so when you're doing the drums, are you, you obviously started playing, you started as a drummer, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So you're coming, you do you? Do you write from that perspective or do you like, would you write a beat and then you write something over it or play a beat? Most of the times, no. I have done that on occasion. But to me, since I'm most comfortable on drums, hmm. a lot of the times it's easier for me to do that at the last step because I know I'll be able to whip up something. I, right, I know I'll right, be able to right. write a part that'll make sense. But as the other instruments where I'm still very much in the, the early stages, it's like, it's not easy to come up with parts. I, I do a lot of, you know, looping of riffs and trying different things. And because of that reason, I, I do that stuff first and the drums are just kind of like, not an afterthought, but mm. you know, I, I definitely do those. I write that part last, but when it comes to like writing a whole song and a lot mm. of my songs aren't typical AB, AB type of songs. They kind of do. They kind of have a. I don't know what you would just, how you would describe it, but like, kind of a linear storytelling. If that makes sense, like dip, different parts. I don't know if I'm making sense at all. But okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, in cases like that, I do keep like an overall theme of where I want the energy to go. What trying to kind of story I'm trying to portray, and the drums are crucial when you're trying to come up with. The I, I want I don't want to keep using the word energy, but I, I it's the only word I can think of right now. The energy of the song, where you know a light drums can keep it really soft, really ease you into something. Whereas you know hard drums, it, it's hard to miss. You got big fills, big crashes, right? That's going to be your explosive part of the song. Mm. So you know I I, I always t- uh, take that into consideration when I'm trying to think of like the overarching. Uh, theme of a song uh-huh. i like how many mics would you what's what's the the mic setup for you to record drums are you doing overheads rooms or is it what what's the so my ceiling here as you can see in, in this video is very short yeah and it doesn't make a traditional overhead mic practical um at least you know I only tried my early stages. I haven't tried it in a long time, but when I was in my early stages of recording drums, I was finding that the reverberation of, or uh, not even the reverberation, the echo of the flat ceiling um, coming back in the microphone just didn't sound good. Uh, so I only use a front of kit microphone, um, a ribbon microphone, and that is kind of acting as the overhead. I kind of call it the overhead sometimes, even though it's not a traditional overhead, but it's it's serving the same purpose. It's trying to take the entire drum kit and trying to get a neutral sound of everything. Um, so, I, you know, I still take that same approach. And, uh, you know, I'll either bring that microphone closer if I want a more direct drum sound with less room sound, or I'll back it up a lot to get more room sound. 
And since that's a ribbon microphone, you know, I'm getting sound from the front as well as the back. So I could tend to uh, kind of blend that sound as needed. And then from there, I almost always have a snare microphone, um, usually an omnidirectional microphone, trying to capture snare mostly, um, some hi-hat and a little bit of the toms. And then uh, most of the time I use a bass drum mic, but I honestly don't even need it most of the time. That ribbon microphone in the front uh, gets a lot of the bass drum. Um, the, that close microphone on the bass drum is more just for uh, the attack. Uh, okay. um, that's kind of, I, I rarely falter from that. That's kind of my go-to setup there. Oh, that's cool. So you kind of have a, you have your sound that you know you want. So it's kind of easy for really, if you want to just get into something quick, as opposed yeah, to just... Yeah, especially if I'm just recording with my friends and, you know, I, I tend to put a lot more thought into recording uh, my own songs just because, you know, my friends aren't going to want to sit around and experiment with different mic configurations and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I kind of leave that creative stuff when I'm recording my own stuff. But I agree with what you're saying that if I want to just get started and get the session rolling, then yes, I just go to the go-to setup. I know it's going to work. I might change one element here and there, depending on if situations are a little peculiar that day. But most of the times, it's just that. Are you are you splicing tape for like if you need to edit in, or you just kind of you just kind of know what you want? You don't need to do any splicing. I try to avoid that as much as possible, just because of you know it's it's easier if I could. If I could do an edit, so to speak, while I'm recording, I don't know if you could call it an edit at that point, but if, if I could be creative with my songwriting to um, kind of avoid these edits, then, you know, I definitely try to do that. Hmm. Um, as opposed to, like, if you listen to a lot of, I would say, like, early 60s stuff, I'm like, kind of the, the poppier end of stuff, where sh songs are being shortened for the radio you'll hear that there's a lot more edits than you would think if you kind of paid attention to it. So yeah. I definitely don't do it as common as those times, right? Um, but when I'm recording uh, with my friends and stuff like that on other people's projects that I'm working on, I don't use my tape machine. Right now I'm using my Alesis HD24, and that's just a hard disk recorder. And on that, there's no editing. You cannot edit whatsoever so it's actually you know I, I have more opportunities on my tape player than i do of the the digital machine that's newer that i have but once again it's just something that i kind of had set the song right around to avoid having to do edits right do you do you, rec do you record every instrument at the same ips or do you do you change it because you know, obviously if you record a 7.5 on drums you're going to get a bit more lo-fi or if you as opposed to 15 you know what i mean yeah so this machine, there's no ability to change the tape speed uh, externally. Uh, I, I am thinking about doing an, a really easy modification that you could um, put a three-point switch on it and okay. basically switch it from 7.5 to 15 to 30. But like, like I said, as of right now, it's just stuck at 15 inches per second. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, I, I shouldn't say it is what it is. I mean, it, it's... Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, on my other machine, that I could filter between 7.5 and, and 15 inches per second. And almost always, uh, I use 15 inches per second. Uh, 
that machine in particular is not the highest of quality, so the high-end loss is pretty noticeable. <laughs> um, and the 15 inches uh, per second really helps with that. And I'll occasionally use it at 7.5 inches per second, but that's just for stuff where I kind of want a, a little more rough sound, a little more, uh, you know, less polished type of sound. Mm-hmm. So th- have you actually recorded drums digitally? Because that's always... Everyone I always meet that that's they always say that the difference uh, one of the main differences of we say people who came from the the recording of when they were using tape is the drum sound like that drums on tape you know you're saturating things and you're getting compression on stuff so have you actually compared have you ever done tests where you've compared drums so, on digital as opposed to tape I have never recorded into a doll per se. Mm-hmm. I have recorded, as I said, uh, on my Alesis HD24, which is a digital format. I've also recorded on, um, I have a, a Tascam Model 24, which okay. is like a, kind of like a modern Porta Studio, mm. which is a digital format. And I think because I tend to uh, use analog equipment before this this stuff and really push the limits there, that I, I don't know if I could really give you a good answer because I've I've only ever done like really short test recordings on like straight oh. to my computer. Okay. And I, I would say though that when I have done that, I was very unimpressed. Really. What the end result was, but I you know I didn't really take the time to try to make it better, and I've only ever recorded really into Audacity where you know Audacity is extremely limited when you're trying to manipulate sound. It's like yeah. It's I'm sure ver- you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's a verified. It's just a tape recorder, really. Yeah. you know that. But I think that's kind of like, I think that's kind of if you use like Pro Tools and stuff like that as tape recorders. That's probably the best yeah. way to to use them. I think people can get lost in, you can get lost in plugins. That's for sure. You can get lost. How in many? Them. How what? many? Um, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, but no. How many? For an average song of yours, you know, what's the average number of tracks that you have Jesus on your doll? Christ. Um <laughs> ah, a lot, man. It's a lot. Like, you know, I'd have yeah. like yeah, like, you know, I'd have so let me see. So a song I was working on today, I would have four spot mics, which would be orchestral strings. So you'd have violin, viola, cello double bass but then you have the decatry which would be the three mics and then you would have you would have a room a room mic so that's a few off then you have a grand piano and drums so there's loads of tracks in that and then i do a lot of harmonies and then i'd add a lot of like different like trumpets and shit like that so there's a lot man there's a lot and then i'd be using a lot of um sends and stuff like that so Maybe could be 50, 60, something like that. I mean, it's too much, like for me, because I'm crazy. I should, I'd love to just have two tracks and I could go, oh, great. This is a choice, is like, you know, I can get caught, like, that's for me. It's just too much choices sometimes. And I go, oh, so, so why are you hesitant to kind of cut it down? Um, I'm just too much, probably a bit of a control freak, probably. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably I mean, you, why. It's definitely going to give you a lot more specific control of, mm. uh, you know, I, I'm sure you're, uh, you're all, um, what's the correct word? Modifying the volume of the tracks per 
Yeah. You know, I'm sure you're really pinpointing key parts where certain songs or certain instruments need to come out more, right? Yeah. Of course, if if you want that precision, that's that's just what you got to do. Yeah, I do like. That's why I liked what you were doing. I just, I, I, I was like, oh, that's cool. Just to kind of not relying on you're even looking at a screen. I think looking at a screen even changes the way you mix because you can you're looking at something, you're looking at the EQ, you're looking at stuff. So I try and use a lot of outboard EQ now that I have here. Like I have a little lunchbox, which is an API thing. So I use that and I've compressed and stuff like that. But it, it does change the way you changes the way everything. Like if I, I know if I mix a song down and I'm looking at it, and then I that same mix that I just play will even sound oddly different because I'm not looking at the whole tracks. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's just something in that, isn't there? I I find found it really interesting that when I'm rip some of my songs onto my computer and Mm. I'm seeing a waveform of the first time of the mix, there there have been instances where I'm like, whoa, something's really off. Like this (laughs) waveform is really wrong. And I would listen back and I'm like, this sounds exactly the same as the other ones and i would go listen to it on my phone and then on my, in my car i'm like this mix sounds exactly the same but for some reason the waveform just looks so different yeah there is really interesting. and yeah. I, I think there, there has to be like some like uh official name for the effect that when you visually see something you hear it differently this happens to us even forget music just when we're living our daily lives and we're you know, reading lips when you can't really hear someone talk, you know, our brains are always interpreting our, uh, you know, our, our hearing based on our eyes. And this is, of course, going to be true when you're looking at two waveforms. I bet you that if you took two identical files and did a different waveform and had people compare the sounds, they'd say, oh, this one's louder. This one's definitely louder. And it's probably the same exact file, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure there's a name for that. Effect. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely... There's there's definitely some name about that, but like I said, it is it's like it's kind of thing in in I think it's prevalent in loads of parts of life. I think they did these studies where they had someone say a word out loud and they lip someone lip that wasn't the word they said, but yeah. it's it, it it had it on the screen written and you you yeah. read it as that as opposed to you know there's these weird things like our brains are quite odd and brilliant at the same time and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But um, yeah. So mixing is a <laughs> mixing is a fun thing. It's it's. Uh, I, I'm sure you know yourself. It it can can total mind fuck you because you can get lost I, in it. I have a, an uh, an interesting anecdote that I think bodes well with this conversation. Uh, there's this guy that I uh, got in contact with when I first started making YouTube videos, and like this was before anyone was watching my YouTube videos. It was just uh, this guy from Germany. And uh, this guy, Billy Ray Schlag, and okay. really nice guy. And he was like, dude, you're, you're such a young kid. You have such a good head on your shoulders. You know, he's so encouraging, extremely nice guy. Well, anyway, uh, about maybe about a year ago, he contacts me and he was like, do you want to mix a song of mine that I've recorded? I think it'll benefit greatly from your analog workflow. Mm. And I said, sure, like, I'll, I'll try it. I'll give it a try. And... I, I was so excited. I've never mixed such like a professional band before. It was like a a neo soul band, and they oh, had wow. these beautiful vocals, and it was just like Motown. And I was so excited. And you know, I spent like maybe like two days mixing it, 
Mm. And it sounded so good. I was so proud. <laughs> and I sent it to him. And like, long story short, he said in very nice words, but basically like, nah, I don't really like it. Like, <laughs> I think I want to, I, he, I forget the specific reasons, but I think he was like, oh, I, th- I want the guitars to be a little higher there and a little lower there, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it was interesting to me because I, I'm not like trashing this guy by any means. I cannot say nice enough things about this guy. Mm. But obviously, he was expecting something much more different than I provided him with my analog limitations. So to me, I take a step back and I think, okay, he said he wanted analog. What does that mean? You know, what does that mean to someone who hasn't recorded on tape? What does analog actually mean? And I think a lot of the times people get confused and they think analog means how you're hearing a track. If that guitar sounds like it was recorded on tape. But I think the difference in sound is actually with the limitations in mixing and editing and stuff like that. You know, as you were saying before, uh, with your 50 or 60 microphones, you want that extreme precision of where you want, uh, you know, a certain track to be. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, on my console, I'm not necessarily going to be able to do that fine tuning. And, you know, that ultimately led him to not like the mix. So anyway, I'm bringing this up because I do think that's a really interesting question. What is analog? What do people mean when they say analog? And people are always chasing this like true analog sound. And to me, I kind of think that's like, uh, you know, the pot of gold that you're always chasing. That's never there, you know? Yeah. I don't know what you think about that, if you think that has some validity to it. I think when people say analog, what they really mean is just guys who were amazing at recording records and made them sound amazing, and they're confusing that with analog. If you are if you know what you're doing, you can make something... I know people who can make great records digitally. And yeah. if you're, if you you're going to make a shit record analog, you're going to make a shit record digitally. I think people look back at it and say like, Dark Side of the Moon, and they're like, holy, that's an analog sound of record. So, yeah, because yeah, they, look exactly. who engineered it. You know what I mean? Look yeah. who produced it. Look who, how they recorded it. Look at everything. I think we can get caught up in that. And I've been there many times of going, I need to do, you know, like, and I'm sure you have yourself that you can get caught up in the sound can become more uh, a pervasive thing than the actual music. You can get even lost in the production more than anything. And I know I've done that. I've I've produced a song and I've like I've literally taken the whole soul out of it. It sounds clear as fuck, but it's soulless. And then you kind of have to dial yeah. it back and go, oh, I've lost the song. So you know what I mean? So for analog, yeah. I think that's there is a sound to analog, don't get me wrong, but I think when people say analog, I think what they mean is just amazingly sounded records. And that's what they probably want. You can't you can't record something dodgy and then think someone's going to mix it and it's going to sound like something from Abbey Road. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. What records do you actually hold a place? What records hold a place in your heart, shall we say? Okay, I'm just going to... I lot. can name like a list of random things that I can think of because like obviously yeah. there's a lot, like every other musician, right? Yeah. There's some albums that I have listened to countless of times, just on loop in my car for like a year at a time, right? Mm. And some I can think of. The first is The Who, Live at Leeds. That album is one of the best 
rock live albums out there. I mean, I, I don't know how familiar you, you are with that album, but I, I, I could talk hours about that album. <laughs> why do you like it so much? I know the record, but I'm just curious why you liked it. Is it the actual it's sound just, or the vibe? It, I didn't realize when I first started listening to this when I was, you know, a young kid. Uh, I wasn't thinking about recording and sound. I was just thinking about the performance and like the band and, you know, Keith Moon, so cool, you know. <laughs> but uh, like the performance that the who at that time, in my opinion, was the peak. I, I think they out competed all other uh, rock bands live at the time. at least. Maybe, maybe not necessarily in the studio, but live. I think they were yeah, yeah. Uh, top of the game. And like that album, I think, is the peak. It's it's I'm so glad that that is on record and we can listen to it because I've listened to it so many times. <laughs> is it like when did you first hear that? Like what age were you? Were you quite young? In, in high school, I think. Yeah, I think I got to, into the Who in high school. I really started to get into like I'll I call it like dad rock, you know, like <laughs> classic rock, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, CCR, all that stuff. You know, like in high school, I really started to dig deep into that like in middle school i was like until i was very like surface level wasn't really that interested you know i was always a big beatles fan since mm. i was a young kid that that always kind of stuck with me my dad had a uh, one cd that we listened to in the car and that like i always just loved the beatles because of that but it really wasn't until high school where like i really started to dive deep into bands and really like come so engulfed and like wanting to be like on stage and stuff like that yeah what what Beatles song? What Beatles song? What Beatles records have you uh, have you a favorite Beatles record? I know that's a weird question because it's a, it changes like it always yeah changes, it definitely changes doesn't it? it always changes it this at, is at like moment, my favorite at the moment what's yeah, your favorite this, Beatles record? This is my favorite question to be asked because I'm like oh boy here we go I'm gonna talk through it <laughs> but it usually filters between maybe like three or four so the debut please please me right now is my favorite just i love the story behind it i love the performance i love the energy just everything about that first album the way it was recorded it's just i love and i i'm really right now my uh listening habits are very much of that uh early rock and roll um sound and like songwriting mm -hmm. rubber soul actually no I, I would say before rubber soul revolver oh revolver so good Revolver, then I would say Sgt. Pepper, and then uh, Rubber Soul, I'd say. Okay, they're good. They're good. I'd have to put Magical Mystery up, Tour in there. I just love Magical Mystery Tour. I'm all about that psychedelic shit, man. That's my... <laughs> I, I actually just bought the DVD the other day, and I've never seen it before. And it's been so hard to get uh, a hold of. And I finally saw it in the store the other day, and I was like, yes! I watched it yet. I'm so excited. Oh, you haven't watched it yet? Oh, no. Oh, it's cool. They, you know, they, I'm sure you know this, but they originally, um, they broadcast on the, on the BBC in, in black and white when they originally oh, broadcast really? it, which is the oh, worst no. thing you could ever do. Like, yeah. So people missed all the psychedelic stuff that they were kind of, they were doing it. Yeah, if you, You've seen the anthology, that Beatles anthology, the eight hours document. Me and my friend yeah. watch this every year. Like we, we, we drink wine for the whole day and watch the Beatles anthology. But but I found this <laughs> this the, there's an unedited Beatles anthology that's like way longer, but it's done in a podcast oh form. It's like twelve hours long, 
It's fucking wow. class, man. I'm, I'll, I'll email you the... I'll, I'll put out a thing in email to you. But it's so... Like, there's, they go into way more detail than the anthology does. Like, I would love to hear your opinion on the Get Back documentary. I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. I think the start of it, I didn't love as much. But as like when they changed studios, that's when I was like, oh, I'm here for this, bro. Yeah. They're so good. Is I that- loved it. My friend Alex, I remember watching that. I mean, like, I literally had an emotional experience watching that. Like I was saying before, even since I was a very young kid, I loved the Beatles. And seeing something like that, that's almost like a reality TV show, if it was shot today, of them literally writing an album and recording it, yeah. it, it was like, it was amazing. Like, I, I it, phenomenal. And yeah. uh, I, my friend Alex, when I was talking about it, he was like, that is the best documentary to ever be made. And I thought about it and I was thinking about it and I tried to separate myself from being a huge Beatles fan mm. and just looking at it objectively. And just, I still think that he may be correct. I mean, you have the biggest band to ever exist and to have that moment for a memory forever that anyone could watch is literally amazing. It's like, it, it's so crazy to see and it's so crazy that, all that footage for so many years was just sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. And all the stories you hear like, oh, it's a disaster and it's this and it's that. I liked, I think more than the music, which is odd to say, but I know the music so well, but I liked the parts of them just kind of talking about like, you know, those kind of, because you never see that. It was never, you might see little stuff, but just the way they would go through songs for a while and then like, uh, like the part where George is is, uh, going over Octopus's garden with Ringo. I think you should go like this. I was like, oh, that's cool, man. <laughs> I think I agree with you that the that those parts were more important than the music because I think that you know, like you're saying, there's so many rumors about this time period of the Beatles, and like you hear, like I'm just picking out the the big ones, like oh, you know, Yoko Ono ruined the band. Um, you know, there was constant fighting, stuff like that, and you mm. watch the reality and you see that. There may be some truth to that, but it's way more nuanced. They didn't hate each other. They had a relationship like anyone has, mm. you know, and it's really important to see, not important, but really interesting to see the nuance to the relationships there. And, you know, their personalities really shine through. It's like, it was almost like it was scripted. Yeah. You know, like you just had Ringo being classic <laughs> Ringo, just sitting back the whole time, just being like, oh, okay. <laughs> Chris Smoker stayed waiting around while they're arguing about chords and stuff, you know? It's like, it was almost like, like it was fake, but it was real. It's crazy. Yeah. My favorite part of the documentary is Paul McCartney playing Strawberry Fields Forever on the piano. I thought, yeah. I just, I love that. Because you could tell he was like doing it and kind of going, oh, I wonder what John thinks. <laughs> you could, you could <laughs> John's behind him. So you could tell he's kind of like, because I love that thing about the Beatles. Like they were like, John and Paul were in a band, but also competing against each other in that band. And, you know, they're they're almost trying to outdo each other. It's like you need that. You need that kind of spark in, in everything. It's like it's, it's like, like a competition. You, yeah, you need there's no like it's like tennis. Federer and Adal Djokovic. Those guys made each other better. Without them, they wouldn't yeah. be as good. And I think that's the same. You could obviously say when when the Beatles heard uh, Pet Sounds, they were like, shit. And then they went and did Sgt. Pepper. So there's like, I think that's what, that's something that's missing from music now. That's a comp- But a competitiveness, but a kind of, 
good competitors because music isn't as important in the like can you imagine when if you were around the 60s and Sgt. Pepper was coming out like can you yeah. imagine what that would have been like it would have been like holy shit like you know so when people brings out a record now it's big like if Taylor Swift brings out a record it's big but it's not you know it, it, it's not that cultural impact yes of, yes yeah you know I think what you're saying is also true just in kind of art in general. I mean, just like, let's just take movies, for example. You know, we've gone so, we've progressed so far when it comes to making music and movies where, you know, movies are almost all computer generated now, even ones that you think aren't are, you know? And it's almost like when a great movie comes out, it's just kind of like, you know, it's not a marvel. It's we've seen this before, and that, that's so true with music. Like I, I've been thinking a lot about this with movies recently. But you're so right in music as well, where there's kind of less impact when an artist comes out with uh, an album, for sure. Yeah, movies for sure, man. I agree with you on that. Like, uh, it's funny because I think of the same thing lately. But like, I mean, I seen Oppenheimer, and that was a good movie. You know, I liked it. Yeah. But before that, I'm thinking like, what's the last great? new movie i've seen because you know you could go watch back and watch the getaway or bullet or any of those classics any you know scorsese yeah. or hitchcock or anything and they just they impact me way more than any some crappy movie that marvel do you know like not that they're all crap but but there's just you can have all the effects in the world but if you don't have a good story it's kind of nothing isn't it i am like huge into old movies and uh, I think, you know, since they weren't relying so much on the visuals then because they didn't have the opportunity to have, you know, just think of a movie like Transformers where there's like huge robots fighting each other and stuff blowing up. Obviously, they're not going to be able to do stuff like that. And if you listen to the dialogue in those movies, the dialogue is so much more well thought out, sophisticated, hidden uh, themes and motives throughout the movie. And I think that's just because that's what they focused on. They couldn't focus on the visuals as much. And I find that the I, I get more out of those movies than I do out of the visual ones that we see today. When I'm, it's causing me to think a little bit and think differently and see, uh, think a way I haven't before. You know? Yeah, oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. All that, all that, like for example, you're saying it's Transformers. It's just all like, like all that smashing and it's like dude it's done you know there's no like there's nothing give me the birds by Hitchcock over that any day of the week with their with the crappy effects and that like you know because you can just you can just the story is just overarching of it we are such in a minority though no one else <laughs> like the vast majority of people like don't care uh, they, or they, they do care and they like that stuff better either the case and I don't know I it, it, it sucks I'm, I think subconsciously they do care because if you think about it, most people go to those movies and they, even though they might like them, they still view them with the, with the impact of like, well, they're kind of like McDonald's of movies. They're disposable. And I think that's why things in the sixties, seventies, you could even say up to the nineties, people had more of a love for it because they weren't as disposable. You know, they had something in them, even like scores. Like even something like scores in movies are quite all similar. They use like drones, like meow, all this kind of shit. But if you uh, listen to like Vertigo, the score of that is incredible. Like, yeah, 
I, I have a. Sorry, sorry I mean, so no, no, go on. Sorry, I cut you off. I have a comment about scores actually, and I want to know if if you uh, noticed this. I saw Oppenheimer as well recently, a couple days ago, and hmm. the about eighty percent of that movie just had what I'll call is montage music in the background. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And once I noticed it early on in the movie, it annoyed me throughout the rest of the movie. <laughs> All I could focus on is. Like it was, I understand why they did it is because they, they were fitting so much information into a movie, and it was like it's impossible to tell that story in a format like that properly. Mm. So a lot of scenes were just like kind of montages of like you know their steps of building the bomb. But oh my god, I I, I remember I leaned uh, over to my girlfriend like, do you hear this montage music? <laughs> she was like, what are you talking about? And once I told her, she was like, oh my god, you know. <laughs> yeah, it is like. It is. It's like just like popped in music for the set. Like I don't know. Sometimes silence is is golden. You know, like I, like... I sorry. No, no, no. When, no, I was, when we were driving home after the movie, and I brought this up, like we were talking about the movie, and um, I lost my train of thought. We're talking about. Si- I've said silence is golden. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. So when we, were, when we were driving home, you know, I brought up the same thing as I was saying to you before about old movies, how the dialogue is more thought out. I said to her, there was a lot of lines in that movie that were fantastic. And they might've even been real quotes. They were very profound, but their impact was taken away by the montage music that was playing in the background. You could barely hear the quote that they were saying. And to me, it would have a much bigger impact if there was not, not necessarily silence, but more emphasis on what the person was saying yeah. and the visuals that were going on, you know? Yeah, that is such a modern Hollywood thing, though, isn't it? To like fill every single nook and cranny with something. It's like, just let it breathe. I find that my YouTube videos will not do well at all Mm. unless I do some sort of visual attention grabbing, you know, graphic or thing. Yeah, I, and I know this for a fact because. When I was releasing my album, I wanted to, in tandem, release a video. So they kind of promoted each other. And I rushed th- through this video. It was really poorly edited, poorly thought out. And actually, it wasn't that poorly thought out. But it was, like I was saying, it was poorly edited. And I didn't include a lot of these visual markers. Mm. And the video did very poorly. And I, I think that's so interesting that people, they need that visual stimulus when they're looking on their phone or watching on a laptop in order to um you know stay uh attuned to the video yeah that's that's just interesting actually i, I some of those little kind of things you put in are funny because i remember you were t- you did a video about spring reverb and you put a spring a re a coil from a car and i laughed at that i was like that's funny man <laughs> i think it was a coil like a spring coil i was like that's funny man so those stuff, stuff like that is what people uh keeps people interested you know and to me, it's like my, my um my girlfriend, who like we joke we call her like my manager. She's always like pushing me to do like social media type of stuff. Where I'm like, I'm not really a social media type of guy. And she had me making TikTok videos for a while and like Instagram Reel videos and stuff like that. Okay. But it was so along the lines of you had to make content that was. Ram packed with visuals and audios and transitions. And it was like, I I wasn't able to make like 
stuff that I actually thought was good. It was just <laughs> it was most attention grabbing, which attention grabbing doesn't necessarily mean good. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like early on, I'm just like that. I can't do that. YouTube, even with the visual stuff I do now, I, I kind of get annoyed at it. I wish I didn't have to, mm. but in order to get uh, some views, you kind of have to do it. It sucks. Yeah. Tick TikTok though is on another level. Like I had TikTok before and then I was like, ah, I'm out of here, bro. I can't do this shit. I can't do that whole yeah. not like those you know those like nonsense videos. You know, I'm sure you've seen many of them, but you're like, oh my I, god. I despite having a TikTok account, I only watched like two TikToks ever. But you know, I've I've seen all my friends on TikTok before. And <laughs> I it's just I, it doesn't interest me, honestly. Yeah. But like it's so bad for even music. Like there's like record labels now signing people off seven second TikTok songs. You're like, how will you go away, lads? Just like complete bullshit. Like that that's that's like that's like the new thing in music is like how can we make money from seven second songs? And you're like, oh dudes, have we gone to this point of like just attention deficit brain? Like, yeah. I don't know. Like I'm sure you're like me is like I'm all for an album like I love albums the whole like I do like singles but I've always been an album dude because I love like yeah. stories and I think an album should be like a story and it doesn't have to be a concept like I like I like writing concepts because my life is so boring but I like I like just this uh, I think when you listen to records from the 60s especially like they're they're all like the great ones um they're albums. They're just they're, they're just an album. You're going on a journey. Whereas like nowadays, yeah. you're just you know. That, you it's, know. it's interesting because I I feel like the trends have kind of went back to where they started. Where you know in the early days before albums, where people were just putting out singles on seventy eights. Like you know there was no albums. There might be a collection, but those are like really rare, right? And we're almost yeah. at that point, right? I mean, all the pop stars are only known for their s singles, really. I mean, no one's really talking about albums as much. Maybe, like, Taylor Swift is, like, the one exception I could think of that I hear people talk about actual albums, but everyone else, I don't... I've never heard anyone talk about an album. No. No, it's... it's it's uh, It could be just one of those things, though, that it's, like, like life can be cyclical. It can just keep, keep changing it. So it, we could get to a point that is... It goes back to that, because, like, the fact that more young people are buying vinyl now is kind of cool, too, so... And you have to, like, that's the thing. I think that's the thing. When I was a kid, you know, we had tapes. <laughs> so we had to fucking, I didn't have enough money. So I had to listen to one tape. I was talking about this with my friend the other day. He was talking about a Perfect Circle album and he didn't have enough money to buy another album. So he first heard that record and he was like, eh, it's okay. But we didn't have another record. So he just kept listening to it. And I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. I fucking love that record. So like, yeah. you can you can listen to a record once on Spotify. Go, ah, I don't, I don't like that. And you miss out so I, much. I would love to see, um, you know, they, they, like you're saying, you know, more young people are buying records and record sales are going up. I would love to see how many people are actually listening to said records. Because I feel like I know a lot of people who just kind of collect them. And I, I have nothing against that. Like, I, I collect so much stuff in my house. So, like, I'm, I'm not <laughs> saying these people are, like, posers or anything like that. But... I do think it's interesting that there is like the collectability factor of it, of people saying they want an album and they want to say, you know, even new artists. Like I see people buy uh, 
you know, rap albums on vinyl a bunch just to say, like, you know, I have it on record. Yeah, so, oh, th- there's definitely that. There's definitely, like, seeing me, it's something like 60% of young people that buy albums don't actually listen to them. And so I think something like maybe even half don't actually even have a vinyl player. Yeah. So there is that kind of thing. Like, I remember being at a, at a house party before and the guy had a, he's Spirit of Eden by Talk Talk. I was like, dude, class record. He's like, oh, I haven't heard it. I'm like, fuck you have it, dude. What are you talking <laughs> about? Like, I was like, why have you not heard it? Like, this is one of the best records ever. But yeah, there is, so there is that kind of posery shit. Like, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like anything, you know? But what yeah. other, what other crazy stuff do you collect? Um, I, I, Really like photography, like film photography. So I have a couple cameras. Oh, cool. Um, like Leica know, like cameras and stuff like that. Say it again. I'm sorry. L- like Leica cameras and stuff like that. I don't have any Leica. I wish my 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 pocket can't afford a Leica yet. But <laughs> yeah, I, like a lot of a lot of the stuff I collect, I, I have uh, you know, the low end stuff because I, I I'm a lover of many passions, and if I spent a lot of money and all my passions, I'd be a broke man. <laughs> so, you know, I have a lot of like, uh, I don't know. I, I like, I, I'm a mechanical engineer. Like that's my uh, occupation. Oh, okay. And like, I'm very, very hands-on person. I like fixing stuff. I like working. I like the design of stuff, which is, you know, part of the reason I like recording on tape, which I explained before. You know, it's like that hands-on approach of fixing stuff and stuff like that. So a lot of, like, the stuff I collect is just, like, little knickknacks and stuff. Stuff that have moving parts. Like, I like to collect, like, uh, clocks and stuff like that. Watches. Uh, oh, cool. You know, kind of like that type of stuff. So you have those thrift stores in America. We don't have those things. And I always hear really? people... Yeah, yeah. We've, like, we've like, oh. we've like um, charity shops. But, like... <laughs> You, there's like you might pick an old good record up, but there's no like you're not gonna pick a fucking organ up or something like that. You know what I mean? And you, you guys have uh, garage sales over there. I don't know. What no, 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 no. We oh have. Oh my god, I didn't, I didn't yeah. know this was an American thing. Yeah, man, it totally is. Like it, it, we have, we have like um, antique fairs, so people will like okay. sell stuff. They're like car boot sales, but no, you will never see like walk by and someone selling stuff out of their garage. Wow, that I, I when it becomes a garage sale season, you know, it starts to get a little warmer out here. I am like on the peruse all the time, driving around looking for garage sales. Mm. I love, uh, dude, I, I just buy junk. And like most of the <laughs> stuff I'll buy for like a dollar. Yeah. And then like I'll just give it away if someone wants it or like if I can't fix it up, you know, get rid of it. But I, I find a lot of really great stuff for a dollar. Really? Because oh. people, I mean, like, if you go to, like, we have uh, estate sales, which is pretty much when an old person dies, you know, a company will sell the possessions in their house. So we have okay. a lot of those around here. And, like, they're just giving away stuff for free, basically. They just want it out of the house. Just get it out. So, I mean, you could get stuff for really cheap. And, like, it definitely helps being a young kid like me, especially when I was, like, even younger than now. Or, like, you know, I was picking up old cameras and stuff, and they saw that I was interested in it. And they would say, oh, just take it, you know, like, don't worry about it. Cause they, you know, it's just going to end up in the trash. So they, they would just rather see me have it. So a lot of my stuff is just going to stuff like that. Oh, wow. Well, have you picked up anything that's like a total gem? Yes. Uh, I'll get it right now. Go on. 
All right. So this someone was throwing away. Okay. We have like um we call it like bulk trash day where a couple times a year like the big garbage truck can come and you can throw away dressers and tables and you know bulk items. And this was just in the oh, trash. Wow. In the trash right down the road from my house. Holy shit, bro. And it was rough. Like it had like garbage all over it. It didn't work when I got it. It needed like very minimal work. Like all I did was spray uh, some contact cleaner and it worked. But that has got to be the best find I got. That is very cool. Wow. That is cool. Man, we need Ireland needs to get on these garage sale things. Like, come on. Yeah, we, we, we gotta to, spread the word. Yeah, get a petition going or some shit like that. You know the <laughs> you know the story about about uh Paul McCartney going out the back of Abbey Road. Because when everything got digital, they fucked all the stuff out the back. So they threw, like, he found, like, one of Ringo's old drum kits in the bin, like, one of those big bins out the back and just took it home. Took loads of stuff. Because when everything went, you know, like, digital, they were like, yeah. oh, it's going to sound way better. And we'd throw all <laughs> the stuff out. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. You, used to. you guys have Craigslist over there? No, we have something similar called the buy and sell. <laughs> okay. But yeah, yeah. Seemingly, but I think, I think where you live, you can get way more cool stuff than here. I, I think that's interesting, and like, I also think it's a little sad because I have met a lot of really cool people through uh, buying stuff on Craigslist and just finding people with similar interests. And some people, uh, you know, I still talk to years later. Really, you know, musicians, yeah, because wow. like. I think, like I was saying before, when you are a younger kid and people see you're interested in stuff that necessarily younger people aren't into, mm. they tend to kind of want to help you out. They want you to keep doing what they had a passion for years ago, you know? So there, there's a few people that, like, I still text every now and then just to say how they are or, you know, are you selling anything else? That's cool, man. Yeah. What, what's, the, what's the scene like where you live? Like, what part, what part of America do you live in? I live in New Jersey. Okay. And the part I live in is very like suburban. I'd say. Is there is, there, is what's what's the music scene like? <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about suburban. You're asking me the music scene. It's like, anyways, <laughs> man. Uh, <laughs> what's the trees like there? <laughs> well, honestly, I think I, I'm really not in the scene. I'm not so sure there is a scene anymore, though. I, I don't know. That's happened I, um, a lot of places. That's happened a lot of places. There was like scenes have just gone. Yeah, I um I think uh COVID definitely had a factor in that. Um like even the band I was in, we obviously stopped playing when that happened and we fizzled out after that. <clears throat> I played at a place recently in New Jersey that's like a really well-known punk underground DIY venue that's been there for, I don't know, at least 30 years at this point, I'd say, maybe even 40 years. Mm. And I played there recently, um, and there was uh, a few other younger kids than me, like 18-year-old kids uh, playing in bands there. So mm. it was great to see, like, you know, young people are still making punk music. So there's definitely a punk scene, um, especially I, I live close to New York City, so there's 
a little bit of a punk scene there as well. But other than that, I'm not sh- not so sure there is a scene. I don't know. Wow. That's a strange thing, isn't it? Like scenes have kind of oddly disappeared a lot and in a lot of places, these bigger scenes. What would like I, I always hate asking this question to people, but like would you classify your music as a certain type of music? I don't know. I when I when people ask me and they're you know, if if they're like not into music at all, I'll just say rock, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But if they're into music, I'll say garage rock as like a catch-all term. I I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time placing it sometimes. And it, it, obviously, I'm so close to my own music that it's hard to hear it objectively. Mm. But I don't know. Psych rock, maybe? What would you describe it as? I, I, I don't know what to really call it. I don't, I, kind of, I don't know. I always hate, like, I always hate, you know, describing music, especially when you're doing, like, you know, you're doing different bits and pieces of little things, you know, like there's like you're saying the psych rock, there's a bit of surf rock in there, there's a bit of garage yeah. rock and stuff like that. There's little bits and pieces. So it's always it's always a weird one to go, oh, it's just this one thing. If you if you yeah. if you were doing like pop music, you go, well, it's pop music, you know what I mean? But when you're kind of yeah. incorporating little bits and pieces, I do I do like that little kind of surf kind of guitar stuff that you're doing. I I like that kind of stuff. Are you using like a you using like echo you that using one of those Roland Echoes on the on the guitar stuff. Space ah, Echo? there it is. Quality, man. I use that way too little. I should really? be using that all the yeah, time. Yeah, should but... be on everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, that was one of my first purchases when I was getting into recording. And um, once again, I bought that off a guy that I developed a relation with um relationship with and i also got this uh my tape machine through him because oh, wow. he saw that i was really interested and uh he just had it tucked away in his back room he's like oh i see you're interested anyway I- i'm getting off topic um what's the original question i'm sorry <laughs> so we, I, we we started talking about the Roland tape echo oh oh yeah so when i first started recording this was one of the first things i had and naturally i overdid it a lot <laughs> I was it was just way too much no such and, thing <laughs> and I, I kind of got it out of my system and now I only use it when I absolutely need it okay the reverb on all my guitars is almost always just my the tank reverb turned all the way to uh, max oh, cool and like the twin reverb I I only play that with the reverb all the way pinned to max whenever I play it anywhere else I'm like it, it sounds like not enough reverb to me and i know it's just like a very subjective thing but i don't know i really enjoy that sound. infinite reverb <laughs> <laughs> have you have you ever been tempted to kind of just go oh i'm gonna do some like record with a doll or anything like that i know it's probably your complete opposite of the antithesis you're actually doing but have you ever like taught for something in the future that you might, oh, okay, I might do something like that. It's it's not that I'm like totally against recording on a doll or anything like that. I don't want to come off as the type of like, nah, you can only record on tape. You know, that's the only option you can do. I don't, I don't want to be that guy. So it's not yeah. like I'm against it. Yeah. Right now with my present situation, I don't really have a desire to. Just because I don't. 
a, a huge part of it actually is just the computer and the screen aspect for me where I feel like at work, I'm constantly staring at a computer screen as an engineer, which I don't okay. like. And, you know, everyone, including myself, is constantly looking at their cell phones. We're constantly watching TV. We're constantly watching movies. You know, we're always looking at some sort of screen. Mm. And to me, this is kind of like my decompression time. I come in here. I'm not looking at a screen. I'm just kind of, you know, living in the mo- I'm staring at it like into space most of the time. You know, I'm not using my eyes. <laughs> and, you know, re- recording on a computer, it, it that I I don't know how you would do that um, without a screen. Maybe there's a way, but you yeah. know. But I I still do record on like I record digitally on that Alesis. I don't record on that for any of uh, my own material. But when I'm recording with my friends, I use that and like you know that that's a digital format. It's not a computer. You know I'm not able to do the things a doll could do. But mm. <clears throat> you know that that's obviously like you know I'm not completely attached to having to record analog at the end of the day you said this earlier in this uh in this talk that a good engineer is going to be able to make a good mix sound good or you know the medium is not necessarily a game changer by any means yeah exactly do you do you spend long mixing for my more experimental songs or i shouldn't say experimental well uh, more like the, the highly produced ones, like the song, let's just take like um, the first song on the album, Little Yellowbird. I, there was a lot of thinking when I was mixing. I, I was trying to convey a story. I had a lot of sound effects that I, I had to think about. So in a case like that, I, I'll spend weeks mixing a song sometimes. And it's obviously extremely annoying when i'm mixing on this console because you know there's no save setting so oh, if i'm no working recall. on no recall no so ah it's interesting i in those cases i'll just take a picture with my phone if it's really like if i'm really far into a mix yeah. and i don't want to start completely over of course i'll take a picture but in some situations where i'm only like halfway through a mix um and i want to record something with my friends you know i'll just I'll just screw up the board and, you know, I have to do it over again. But that's obviously a pain in the ass when I'm recording or I'm mixing a song over the course of weeks. Mm. Do you you find mixing in the morning or the evening or like, because I think certain time dictates how you hear things because your ears can be fresher in the morning. But at the same time, sometimes I don't know if it's the same for you, like sometimes at nighttime, you know, you get an idea, you're like, shit, man, I got to record that. And you just get up and <laughs> have to record something. So there's yeah. mixing can be different, I think. Maybe just, maybe that's just me. But I think it'd be different what time you actually mix it at. I think it's, a, yeah. That's interesting. I, I haven't really thought about that. I do definitely think there is a, definitely fatigue to worry about, like ear fatigue. For if sure. If you're listening to the same mix over and over, you definitely need a break. For sure. But... You know, the, my experience mixing is often defined about uh, defined on how well I recorded the instruments and how excited I am, per se, to hear the final result. Because sometimes I'm working on a song where I'm like, man, I couldn't get that guitar track. Uh, sorry, I got a bug here. I couldn't get that guitar track right. And, uh, you know, it just is on the back of my mind the whole time. And those times, like, 
mixing can kind of be a, a nuisance and like you just kind of want to get it over with yeah. whereas where i hear a song like you know serial skinner where that song i've been writing for more than a year it's the most i've ever spent on writing a song and the anticipation of finally hearing that end result it was like I was so motivated to keep mixing and mixing and mixing. I, that mixing process, you know, is so much shorter. I enjoy it a lot more. Uh, you know? <clears throat> the the video you did for the my neighbor's cat, um, that's the that video. <laughs> it's amazingly done, man. It looks so professional. Like it, like I like the the even the colorization that you use the grading on the video is cool. The cat part was I was like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Well, the fake cat. <laughs> I have to give a huge amount of credit towards the kid Tim Jones that, uh, you know, me and him both made that. He took, I've never made a video before, like, uh -huh. you know, of that nature. And so he, he took all of that part. You know, he was in charge of like a whole crew he got together. And um, I was actually the, how I met him was by making that video. He, right. he reached out to me. Uh, he was a friend of a friend that heard my CD, my Maybe One Day EP, playing in someone's car and was like, dude, who is this? I really like it. And like, he just messaged me and was just like, dude, uh, I like your stuff. Would you be interested? Blah, blah, blah. And a lot of times when I, I'll get emails like that where I'll get people emailing me telling me like, oh, you know, we need to collaborate. I want to do this. I want to do that. And they'll send me his stuff and I'll watch. I'm like, okay, this is good. But, you know, I'm not really interested, et cetera, mm. et cetera. When this kid sent me the stuff he had, I was like, holy shit, this kid's a professional. Like, he's yeah. making professional level, um, you know, uh, film shorts. And I, I jumped on opportunity immediately. And, you know, he is actually my biggest fan. This kid, <laughs> he, we, we were, uh, jamming the other day and he just kept playing my songs and i was like dude you gotta stop playing my song. it's funny because like he'll, he'll be teaching me how to play the songs it's oh, like wow. I'm, I'm looking at him because i forget how to play them immediately as soon as i'm done recording them like my brain forgets <laughs> but anyway the, the reason i'm bringing him up is that video would not have been possible without him um and i i really hope that kid gets uh some recognition in the future because I do think he, he has like a, a really interesting mind. Yeah, man, that's a that's a talented video. Like the look of it, I thought I was like, shit, man, that that was because you know you sometimes see videos and you're like, oh, yeah, but it looked like a proper guy who knew how to film things. It wasn't just some lad with an old camera banging something out. But yeah, I I liked the way kind of um, what is it? You use a kind of. Is this, there's this, is it a not a vignette, but it's like a photo -y box thing. I forget this freaking thing. But anyway, yeah. you put it on the thing. Yeah, it was cool, man. It was cool. And the grading of it reminded me of those kind of seventies, um, more you know those seventies movies. That I'm trying to think yeah. of the exact wording for them, but yeah, if Tarantino made a movie in the seventies, that might be definitely, that, definitely. that 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 kind of vibe. <laughs> um, man, why you right for time? I don't know. Have I took up too much? Uh, of your I'm time? fine. I keep talking i'm fine okay cool cool we probably i know it's, it's later there so ah dude i don't fucking sleep anywhere it's grand it's all okay. good <laughs> actually what i wanted to ask you um since you're a beatles fan did you because because i've i'll ask you how you got into Beatles, but i um 
you know that you've, you've you always hear you've heard uh, consciously hearing the Beatles for the first time. I mean, I would hear the Beatles when I was a kid, but through like you know the Yellow Submarine, but 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 the first conscious yeah. time I actually heard the Beatles was actually um, Freeze a Bird. That's kind of my first kind of real like, whoa, oh, this is the Beatles. Like, how do you feel about those songs, Freeze a Bird and Real Love? Because they're Treatle songs more than Beatles songs. So I've never actually heard Freeze a Bird. I know the love. Wow, you've um, never heard Freeze a Bird, dude. That yeah, is class. What is that? You need to, I, I'm ignorant on it, so you have to explain what that is. Freeze a Bird. During the 90s, the Beatles had, there was, th- there was leftover Lennon songs. So they had like now, I think it was Now and Then, which is the one that they're bringing out. They had another one, Growled With Me, the Freeze a Bird and Real Love. And so Yoko gave them these demos. And so they picked them. And at the time, it was like John was singing to a piano. So it was him and like a cassette. So like, you know, an old cassette tape, but it was him piano. So you can't really, you can hear him, but it's not amazingly thing. And I had a home and everything. So they got Jeff Lynn, who was the producer of ELO. And they, so Paul, George, and Ringo went into the studio and recorded over John's initial Freeze a Bird demo and double tracked it and you know made it sound like that so yeah. but, but so they did them for the anthology and then they did another one called real love and then they were doing this thing called now and De- now and then but um george put the kibosh on that i think he said it's fucking shite so um that that <laughs> that got that that got booed. but it's coming out now but yeah free as a bird's class man free as a bird is like just an amazing yeah, beatles song out. Yeah, dude, I'm wow. I'm jealous you've never heard of that. Yeah, it's really interesting when I listen to it. It's 1994, I believe, when it came out. Wow. I'm writing it down so I don't forget. Yeah, Freeze a Bird, brilliant song. And, and Real Love is is cool too. But I think I think what they could do now with AI is they could actually re- you could remove the piano and the vocal from John's voice and actually clean everything up, which you couldn't do yeah. years ago, <clears> which is. Which is incredible what you could do, which is just like, there was a guy who I had on the podcast a few months ago who finished off Brian Wilson's Smile album using AI, which was quite, some of it was class, man. So I was like, man, that is cool. It's 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 ingenious what you can do. I, I think AI, if you use it as like a tool and not use it as a whole, it, um, it, it's I good. think... You know, we use this term AI, but that's really not, that's not an accurate term, right? So, like, I think when computers came about, people were saying the same thing as people are saying today about AI. They were saying computers are going to take people's jobs away, Mm. you know, they're going to take over everything, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, computers just became a tool. You know, it, it didn't get rid of the engineer or the accountant or whatever. It was a new tool for these people to use. And I think the same thing is just going to happen with AI or, you know, so-called AI for this music stuff mm. where it's just going to be used as a tool to um, do certain tasks. It's not necessarily going to take things over. I know, like, you see a lot of headlines that are like, AI creates song that's blah, 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 blah. But... I guarantee you that the process of the software creating that song, there was a lot of human input, 
lot of human tweaking to get it where it needed to be, you know? There's always going to be that human element if you want something to be, you know, universally uh, pleasing to the ears, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. There's something... There is something weird though when you can you can prompt a program now to go give me five beats in the style yeah. of Rihanna and then it gives you that and you can kind of choose. There's something in that that is great for lazy fuckers who want to just put out some, you know, like because there is a lot of like in modern music there's a lot of just shit laziness of just taking a loop and putting a loop and then rap and then blah, 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 you know, like to me that's just like not creative. Do you think that like we were talking about this earlier on where, you know, if you do do that, that you're just, you're never going to have an end result that matches what you could get if you came up with this on your own. Do you think that's true? Or do you think that it could be matched? Um, well, then you're getting into kind of aspect of what a soul is, isn't it? Like, I know that sounds yeah. like kind of a bit, you know, kooky, but, but there is something... I've looked at AI art, and you could go, shit, that looks class. But it's, there's, ah, there's something soulless in it. Now, is it soulless because I was told it's AI, AI art? Or is it soulless because it is soulless? You know, you kind of, there's, you know, our mistakes is what makes us great and makes us bad. You know, like, it, if you didn't, I, mis, you know what I mean? Like, mistakes have yeah. changed music. I have, uh, I went to the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City yesterday. Oh, and cool. there's a Van Gogh uh, exhibit right now. Ah, I love and um, obviously, you know, I, I go to that museum a lot. And when the Van Gogh exhibit came, I'm like, I need to go see that. I've never seen, um, you know, a whole exhibit of Van Gogh paintings. But something that I, I was thinking about when I was looking at these paintings was if you look at his paintings objectively – and you don't know the Van Gogh story behind it, they're not nearly as impactful if you know the story of Van Gogh and why he became famous after all these years, right? And I think this this same element is true with this AI stuff that you're talking about, where you're saying, like, AI could come up with this art that is, is as you say, class, that uh, I, I really like that. Uh, very Irish word. We always yeah, I, I, I gotta, cool, I gotta we go, that. That's class, man. <laughs> class. I'm gonna start saying that. Um, but will it be known for a hundred years from now? I don't think AI can produce an artwork that people a thousand years from now will look back and say, "Wow, look at this art that AI made." You know what I'm trying to say? Mm. There's no art is all about the human element. Yeah. And to me, sure, it could it can mimic something, but does it have that same cultural impact that something that you know a human has made? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. There's 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 just, there's everything that makes up art kind of is involved with the process of being a human. You know, like you said, the story. There's a story. Like I know we could go back to the Beatles, but that there's something about the Beatles that is kind of. If you if you someone says to me why do you like the Beatles you could go I like their music but it's not just their music it's like there's yeah. something you know like there's this thing that I don't know there's something intangible about the, about the Beatles if someone said why do you like them I kind of like everything I like the vibe yeah. of 
every, you know what I mean? Like when I think of the Beatles, I think of the, the vibe and I think of this and I think of that. It's not just the music. It's kind of like everything. And I think that's, sure. AI can't replicate that. You know, it, ju it just can't. Definitely. I was going to say something profound and I totally forget. Damn. Come on, man. It's probably can, not profound. You, 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 can, <laughs> you can do this. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I was going to say. It was it was something related to the uh, human element. Um, you might just have to ask me another question while I think about it. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to think now. I'm trying to think about your profoundness and I'm wondering what it was. <laughs> do you, do you have, so when you're... Would you write every day or would you do you like go okay i'm gonna write or do you just wait for inspiration or would you sit down and write something or is there any like after as soon as i released that album mm. mentally my songwriting is just exhausted i when i first came up with the idea of recording an album you know i i didn't know how to record at all I didn't play any other instruments. It was just an idea I had, something I wanted to do. Right. And I put every ounce of my effort into producing an album. All the demos I went through, all the learning of bass, guitar, keyboards, my vocals, like every ounce of free time I had for those few years was dedicated to uh, <clears throat> releasing uh, an album. So when I finally did release the album a couple months ago, I just needed a mental break. I was so caught up in it. I, it became an obsession with me. And I've honestly just been taking like a break since then. And I've been trying to write riffs just like when I pick up a guitar and I haven't been able to come up with something that really made me go, Oh shit, that's good. You know, like yeah. I got, like, like I've come up with riffs, but nothing like to that, uh, that effect. And I honestly just think I need a little bit of a break. Because yes. I was just so oversaturated with it. Yeah, sometimes you do, man. Dude, I was the exact same when I made my first record. I, I'm fucking insane. Like, like I actually yeah. think I lost my mind for a while. Because, you know, like yourself, you're so, like, focused on it. It's, like, the only thing you can think about. Like, any free yeah. time, you're like, oh, I gotta fucking do this. And it's, like, it's tunnel vision and stuff like that. And then when you do it, it's like, oh, shit, man. It's fucking done. Like, that's the weirdest part. The weirdest part is actually finishing it because you're like, yeah. oh man, it's finished now. Oh shit, what the fuck? You know, because yeah. it, it, it's a moment of, okay, now what? And you're just yeah. like, what do I do now? Yeah, yeah. And then people have to hear it and you're like, oh my God. And then, you know, I, I like, I notice when I listen back to my old record, I don't listen to it that much ever. But when I do listen back to it, especially when I first listened back to it, I would be like, oh, my God, I should have done that. And that snare, if I did that and da, da, da. Whereas like years later, you can listen back to it and you go, oh, I actually kind of can like that more. Whereas I think the first few years, you're always going to go, dude, I could have done. Why didn't I do that? And I shit, I should have done how, that. How often do you listen to your own music? Very rarely. The only time I ever listen to it really is when I'm like doing it, you know when mm -hmm. I'm like, when I'm doing it. And I always know, I don't know you the same. If I write something, I will actually listen to it constantly for like many times because I actually like it. I go, oh, it's cool. And then after I'm finished, I'm like, it's kind of done. I'm just moving on to the next thing. You know, it's kind of like, 
because I know when I listen back to it, like even the, even the song I put out like a few months ago, I <laughs> I listened back to it today because a, a PR guy messaged me and I was just like, oh man, I should have like, you know, he must be complimenting me. And then I went back and listened to it. I was like, oh man, that's snare. I should have taken down the hertz of 100. You're like, but it, no one yeah. gives a fuck. The only one yeah. who gives a fuck is me. No one gives a shit if that snare was a DBD, D, DBD, a DB higher or DB lower. You know, yeah. like like that whole thing. I think Picasso actually said is art is never finished because it's never yeah. finished. You know, it's it's like, you know, like, do you listen to much of your music? You know, obviously so, you finished that album was out in May, so it's still quite fresh. Yeah, I listen to my own music way too much. Really? And- it is not like an egotistical thing where I'm like, man, my music rocks, you know? It, yeah. It's not why I listen to it. Mm. I Every time I listen to it, I'm like hoping it gets better the next time I listen to it. I don't know how to explain it. I've never really said it out loud before, so I'm kind of trying to process my thoughts here. But mm. it's almost like, you know how you're saying you, you listen back and you hear the mistakes that you wish you did better? those are always on my mind and i'm Mm. like hoping that one time i the next time i listen to it those mistakes aren't going to be there and obviously that's never going to happen and it's kind of like this endless loop where i'm just trying to like see where i could be better and i don't know why i do it It, it's it's like a bad obsession and like i've had a few people like uh like you know walk in my house while i'm listening to my music they're like are you listening to your own music? And I'm like, uh, no, it was just, it was just odd. I don't know. Like, cause it's, it's like holding a picture of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, a, it's a weird obsession of mine. That, like I listen to it a lot. But I think, you know, dude, I think it's cause it's, it's so new, you know, you're still, you're still in that process of like, fuck it's only like may and it's it's new when you do it after a few years you know you do after a few years you do you even you even start to appreciate the things that you didn't like about it you go actually that's kind of cool because that yeah uh, you know there's certain choices of stuff you would make then that you wouldn't make now that you don't appreciate at the time but then you appreciate later because you wouldn't make them now you know what i mean there's those kind of things that are actually quite interesting you know you said before that you know picasso said that art's always a a living thing or something along those lines i was watching a video one time of a guy who was going back like maybe four or five years to a mix he had done and improving it and making it better for future people's listening Mm -hmm. and to me I don't know. To me, that's that's not the way I like to go about it because just like as you're saying, that moment to me is like a capture in time of yeah. when I was recording that song, I was songwriting it, I was at a specific time in my life, I made specific decisions because of certain gear I had. Why change it? Why it just it is it's a it's a moment in time, let's just leave it where it's at. Yeah. So obviously in the analog world, um it's a lot easier to live by that motto. But if you're in the, the doll world, I'm sure the temptation is uh, much bigger to go back to mixes and make those incremental changes. Do you see yourself doing that a lot? Oh, a hundred percent. Like, well, I, like yeah. the single that I put out a few months ago, I know for a hundred percent fact when I'm putting that in the album, I'll change something on it. 
you know, that I, I will just go, ah, oh, I need to just change that. And I'll think that, you know, like it's like it's like anything, you know, you you, ch- you change it. Like there's a there was a thermant, there's a thermant on it. And I was like, ah, oh, that thermant could be higher. I need to put that thermant higher. But people have heard it and they were like, oh, I love that thermant. And in my head, I'm like, I can't hear that thermant. What are you talking yeah. You know, because it's, it's so ingrained in your brain of like what you need to change that you kind of hear things differently. You know what I find the worst when I'm tr- there's some instrument that's like buried in the mix and I'm having trouble getting it out. And like I'll spend like a whole session mixing it and then I'll listen to it the next day and all you hear is that instrument. And you're like, what? why did my brain think that was the right level for that to be? You're just so hyper focused on it. You just keep pushing the, the fader higher and higher and higher. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's always the next day. You know, like at the time you're like, that sounds so good. Then the next day you're like, what the fuck, man? That's like, I can't even hear anything else. Like, that, that's why I always think you should always mix a song and then wait a day and then listen to it. If it's a final, if you think it's the final mix, because if you mix a song and you, you're going to change it, like you're just going to, like that's what happened my my song when I put out. I was just like, fucking done. I'm putting it out. Because, you know, I spent too much time doing it. And then I'm like, oh, I should have changed that thing. Like I, I've done things that when I've sent to the mastering engineer and I'm like, yeah, man, can I send you another master of that? I need to like change the, you know, it's like a fucking lunatic, you know, but, and it's like, no one notices. Like yeah. you or I would be the only thing that would notice something in our own music because we're, we're so myopic on it. And like, we have a, we have a, a magnifying on it. Whereas for everyone else, they're just like going, oh, I like that melody. That's what I find interesting about that anecdote I was talking about earlier where <clears throat> that guy had asked me to do a mix for him mm. where, you know, when I heard the mix, it all sounded perfectly balanced to me. Everything was great. But to him, you know, he wanted certain elements to be a little different. Uh-huh. And it kind of with what you're saying, it's like, would someone notice the differences he's going to make if he's going to tweak the guitar a little higher? You know, is someone going to notice that? Or is that just being not over obsessive, but you know, too too focused, too yeah. too many uh too many possibilities. You know? Yeah. Plus, you always have to look at you. You know, you. I think you have to step back and you go, okay, if I put this guitar, why am I putting this guitar louder? I'm putting because I can't hear. It, and if I do put it louder, will it actually make the song better or worse? What will it do for it? And I think sometimes we make choices based on, I think it should be louder. And you're like, why should it be louder? You know, it's like, yeah, we need to kind of step back and go, okay, if I do that, what will it do in the song? Because every little change you make changes something in the song. If you put the guitar higher, this, you know, your focus is going to be more high. You know, like, yeah, it's it's like it's painting essentially. You are painting. You're just using your like your like every instrument's a color. So you're like, well, do I want the red to stand out more than the blue? And if that stands out, how does that affect the way people yeah. interpret it? You know, there's all those kind of things behind recording music that is like, it just like the genesis of it is the demo. And then you how go often, from there. How often do you have people in your recordio, uh, in your studio that you're recording? <clears throat> Never. Never? Just, no, just me. Apart from my friends, if I come in and play them stuff, you know, I'll just yeah, go. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, I come in and like I listen to you know, 
but I I um I actually kind of like that because you know you can be so focused on do you know it's such a I think recording nowadays can be a very lonely thing. I mean, but I mean that in a good way. There's a difference between lonely and alone, if you know what I mean. Alone, There's, not lonely. Sorry. Yeah, I understand. That actually, that thing I forgot what I was talking about before. I remembered and I wrote it down, and it's Brilliant. really relevant. We're saying Brilliant. Right now. Go on. So, I might disagree with you a little bit. Go well, on. Not necessarily that I disagree with you, but. How dare you? This podcast is over. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just bring up what I was going to say before, because we were talking about um, the soulness of art and human art. And <clears throat> I find that the most important part of music for me mm. is the relationships I have with other musicians when I'm playing. And it, it almost becomes um, a language. Uh, the kid Alex that I talk about, and he's in a lot of my, my videos, um, the kid Alex, you know, I've known him for maybe like five or so years at this point. And we've been playing so long with one another that we don't need to speak when we're just jamming and coming up with new stuff. We'll just look at each other and we know what to do. And it almost becomes like it's an experience that it's hard to describe if you've never played a I mean, uh, uh, an instrument with someone like that where mm. you're feeding off of each, uh, one another. And I think that this is something that was dearly lost when the uh, COVID hit, where we everyone was forced to be isolated. You know, I that's when I started recording all, when I was all by myself, you know. So there's definitely benefits of being alone and recording in isolation. But mm. and I was going to ask you, uh, do, do you play with people? Um, in live settings at all? Uh, yeah, when I, yeah, I haven't played live in a long time now, but when I did play live, I had um, a drummer and a bass player, and then we kind of triggered stuff, like orchestral parts and everything. I would trigger stuff on a, on a, on the pads, on the Ableton pads. But, um, yeah, I, I like, I would love, I would love if I could just not play anything and have just like, like the wrecking crew back in the day, could tell everyone, go, hey, you should do that. Because, like, you yeah, were saying, yeah. like, the best thing, as much you know, as the way I do music is quite solitary, it's kind of by budgetary choice, probably more than anything. Because, <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, I can play a good lot of instruments. So it's like, well, I, you know, I could, I could either play piano, get someone to play piano, or I could do it, or I could get, you know what I mean? It's just, I would, but I would love, I think there's something brilliant about the synergy of people playing together that you cannot, not saying you cannot replicate it, but it, it takes, it takes a, it's quite difficult to manipulate it, to replicate it, to sound like a band. You can do it. You can, of course you can do it, but it just takes more time. And yeah, there's just something like you were saying about people playing together, when you're, especially when you're feeding off each other, because it is like yeah. a language. It's like, mm -hmm. like music is literally the only language that everyone can understand, no matter where they're from at yeah. one time. There's no other language that can do that. So, yeah, yeah, that's kind of when, and hopefully, if I play, start playing live again with, um, when I bring out this new record, I will. I lost my hearing, you see, for six years in um oh really yeah and one of my ears in in my ear um i just woke up one morning i put on my headphones and it was david bowie's black star was out at the time okay. and I, I put on that song lazarus 
and the drum was like there. I'm like, where's the drum? I was like, ah, these headphones are fucked, bro. And then I came into my studio and I put it on. And I was like, oh shit, the drum is still there. It was like the drum, you know, like your snares in the middle. It was like yeah. there. It was like there. And then I start oh. kind of freaking out. I'm like, oh, what the hell? It must be something, whatever. It just never, it never. And then it changed. So then the drum went from there to being there. So my hearing changed from that to that. And then because of all that, I got started getting this thing called hyperacusis, which meant so which meant that everything was loud. Like everything was ridiculously loud in one ear. Like so I couldn't really I couldn't listen to like rock music or anything like that. I'd listen to mainly with classical music and I actually hadn't lost my hearing. It was to to do my eustachian tubes in my ears. So the only the last few years um I've started to kind of release music again because it's it's like if you look at my Spotify, it's 2013 and then nothing for like years. And then again, because my hearing was so bad for them years. That I just, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was it was um, it was quite depressing, I have to say, because it was I, I like I listened to mixes. I remember I had my friend over. I said, "Here, dude, listen to this mix of this I did when I, when my hearing was bad, and it was terrible. Like we were both listening, going, like, <laughs> the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Like it was so shit, man. It was it was so bad because I just couldn't, I couldn't uh, differentiate from things like the, especially bass. Bass would be ridiculously loud, mm. and um, thankfully, <laughs> just the last few years, it's just started to." I'd say maybe the last two years is kind of perfect now again, but, it's, but, but it took, I don't know what, it just something in my tubes, just, and I've seen people and I went to, I got hearing tests and they were like, no, your hearing's fine, because frequency wise it was fine, but it was an inner ear thing, so it was, it was completely throwing my hearing off, so yeah. um yeah, why did I talk about that? I've no idea why I brought that up. <laughs> but um, it was so I said something earlier that's that's why I brought it up. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, all about playing live. That's why. Yeah. So yeah, eventually I'd love to 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 get a lot of people. What about yourself? I play with a couple friends, but I feel like it's becoming progressively harder to find musicians. Around here, just like you, when you asked me about the scene, mm. like I don't really know many people who play instruments anymore, and like yeah. I think that's a shame. I, I think that's a really fun thing to do as a, like a young kid. So yeah. So with your music, with your music and your albums and stuff like that, like do you do you like have an ambition for it, or do you just do it because you love doing it, or do you kind of go, I want to get to this point with it? I do have a couple like milestones, I guess, that I want to reach. Yeah. Like the obviously the album was the first milestone. <clears throat> I wanted to do that. Mm. Second milestone, I would really, really love for that album to be on a physical record. I, I don't know how or when that's gonna happen, but I re- that's definitely a milestone that I want to reach. Um, and you know, I want to do that organically. I don't want to like just print out a couple of records myself. I want like someone to sign me or something uh, along those lines. So, you know, that, that might be uh, a long shot, but that's kind of like a goal in my head. But other than that, I have like some really rough goals of like, I want to do a concept album of some sorts. But other than that, I mean, I, I'm kind of just going with the flow, see what happens. 
Yeah. You're speaking my language about concept albums. I'm all about that shit, bro. I, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Like I say, like my, I always say to people, my life is so boring. So I write concept albums because like, you, you know, you can kind of live, you kind of can live through music in a weird way. Like you can kind of escape. Like, mm. you know, uh, I think music is, for me, it's just escaping. Because, you know, like there's so much shit in life. You can kind of just, you know, that that time you're playing music, you're so focused on that. It's like the whole world disappears for could be 10 minutes or whatever like that. So, uh, yeah, I like concept albums. I think concept albums are, are cool. I thought I don't know why I thought your first album was like a concept album. There, there's a similar theme. Yeah, between the the, you know, that I was trying to go for for each song, but I don't know if I like when I think of a concept album, I'm thinking of something like something that that has a, a story you could follow. Of course, I'm blanking on everything. Oh, like some, something like Tommy, you know, the Who's Tommy, okay. or you know, something that it, it's more than a theme. It's a overarching story that it's meant to be listened to as an album you wouldn't necessarily i mean i guess you could have singles on it but yeah. you're not necessarily meant to listen to um the songs individually uh-huh yeah i get you yeah because it's like like they always say i don't think sergeant pepper is a concept album like it's not really like there's after the first two songs like they go off on mad tangents i think it just it it works beautifully well together but it's definitely not a concept in the fact of like you say well tommy there's an actual literal story yeah. or the wall or something like that you know there's stories mm. and um yeah I, I like that too i think because because you can kind of especially with a concept you can end up your writing can go in different places because you can write for a character and sometimes you can it's kind of cool writing outside of yourself, if you know what I mean. Because music is yeah. such a kind of, you know, you write a love song. It's going to be about, <laughs> probably about yourself. I have kind of, music, writing music in particular has helped me get through a few emotional things in my life that uh, I think had a really positive impact. So, and I know, I mean, like, this is true for people who don't even write music, who just listen to music, right? Everyone has that one album that, you know, meant something to them so emotionally that it, it helped them get through a tough time in their life. Yeah. You, you like, you, you only started, like, writing music during COVID, was it? Or recording, should I say? About maybe a year before COVID, I think. Maybe, like, six months. I don't remember the exact specifics, but... What triggered it? Was there anything that you just said, oh, shit, I just want to do this, or you always wanted to do it, or was there? You know, it's... I've been a drummer for so long, mm. and it's impossible to be a songwriter as a drummer, obviously. You're not writing melodies or anything like that. And I was in a band, and, you know, the standard Ringo treatment of you're the drummer, you don't, you don't write songs, you know? <laughs> and I had so many ideas in my head of not necessarily chord progressions or notes but i had ideas of like the story element of songs that i wanted to do and like certain motives i wanted to talk about like in these songs so <clears throat> it got to a point where i was like enough's enough i am going to create my own music i don't have to rely on other people i'm gonna learn all the instruments myself and i'll have complete control and i'll finally be able to do 
try try to finally be able to get all these ideas I have to fruition. Yeah. <clears throat> and like, so you never played guitar before that or bass or anything like that? No, I mean, I had. I had a bass guitar for like a month when I was a kid, but I, I barely played it. You know, I, I played trombone in, in middle school. So, you know, I had a little experience there, but <clears throat> up until that point, right before COVID, you know, the first instrument I bought was a, a bass guitar. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just started there and like really, really simple. Like I, I was really starting you know, when I had the idea for the album, I was starting from ground zero for all the other instrumentations. So like it took me so long to make the album, you know, like four years about because I had to go through those initial steps. I had to uh, cut my teeth, so to say, you know, right. You kind of put in the time there. So when you were learning guitar, like were you learning actual, were you learning scales or were you learning like just songs you liked or. So I made it a rule not not a rule, but a guideline to myself to not watch a lot of YouTube videos on how to play guitar. I kind of yeah. wanted to try to develop my own kind of style, which probably hindered me in, in the long run by doing that. <laughs> because like I, I've learned things I should have learned like way too late. Right. But you know the, the type of music I was making, it was all it's it still is all like really simple riffs um you know almost all bar chords almost all uh major uh major chords you know like it's just like you know very ramones type of guitar playing that like there's not it's not anything complicated at all so you know i was able to do that without getting lessons or anything like that yeah yeah i get you because the the lessons can be quite boring. I mean, I I never got lessons. I kind of taught myself, but I did piano lessons as a kid, and they can be yeah. um, it's the scales are like you're like, oh, dude, do I have to play another scale, man? Like, come on! And the thing about it is, they're the fucking best things ever because they actually do make your fingers better. They make you a better yeah. player and like that. But it's just, you know, you want to be playing some. You know, we I, we always want to just go. Oh, just fucking give me a song to play. I think the best advice to anyone who's picking up an instrument and wants to take it seriously is, and this is a controversial opinion, but you're saying like, you know, these scales were, although they were great for learning, you know, dexterity and stuff like that, they were boring. They were boring. You didn't want to play them. Right. And like, I feel like if I was ever to teach a young kid who was learning instrument, I would just say, play what you have fun with and you'll, it might take you a little bit longer to get where you need to be, but you'll be more interested. You'll pick up the guitar a lot more than if you're forcing yourself to do scales that you have no interest in. If you're like in middle school, you, you, know, you don't care about scales. You want to play a, that Black Sabbath song or whatever, you know? So like, yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. Like it is true, but I think especially, um, you know, I studied classical music, so it's very regimental of like, you yeah. need to do 